Welcome to Ready to Recover, a podcast series in which guest experts take a closer look at what people may experience when seeking to finance their recovery after a damaging earthquake. These discussions consider common challenges and options, including what can be done to prepare before disaster strikes. This podcast series is produced by CREW at CREW.org with funding from the National Earthquake Hazards Reduction Program. The following podcast explores what financing recovery can look like for individual households making an insurance claim or seeking disaster recovery assistance. This episode features a conversation between Amy Bach and Lisa O'Donnell Thompson. Amy Bach is the executive director and co-founder of United Policyholders, a California-based national nonprofit that educates and advocates for policyholders on insurance coverage, the claim process, and public policy matters. United Policyholders runs initiatives focused on increasing disaster resiliency and insurance literacy. Ms. Bach is a professional consumer advocate, attorney, and published author. She currently serves on the U.S. Treasury Federal Advisory Committee on Insurance, the Redwood Credit Union Board, and she's an official consumer representative to the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. Lisa O'Donnell Thompson is branch chief of the claims branch of the Federal Insurance Directorate within FEMA's Federal Insurance and Mitigation Administration, which manages the National Flood Insurance Program, or NFIP, and a range of programs designed to mitigate against future losses from hazards, including floods and earthquakes. Prior to joining FEMA in 2016, Ms. Thompson worked for 44 years in the property and casualty insurance industry, where her activities included overseeing NFIP claims. What drew you to the work that you do in the disaster insurance field? Um, And Amy, why don't we start with you? So uh, United Policyholders has been um, involved in educating consumers on uh, earthquake preparedness and insurance matters uh, from the very beginning um, of of our founding in 1991, because we were founded um, just a few years after the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake in Northern California. Um, and um, and then some years after we were we were in 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 operation, there was the Northridge earthquake in LA um, that was another really big one. So um, early in the 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 nonprofit's uh, life, we had um, we we felt it was imperative to really raise awareness among property owners of the importance of having insurance for earthquakes and then understanding and being realistic about how that insurance will work after a loss. Um, And so we have really put a lot of effort into curating very plain language guidance, realistic guidance for people uh, because we've seen how hard it is to recover from an earthquake um, if you don't have insurance um, at all. And so for that reason, you know, we have developed a lot of materials to really help people not um, not get caught uh, after an earthquake unprepared. And then uh, Lisa, how, how about you? Well, I'm going to take this from a more personal perspective. You know, when, when I first got into insurance, I was quite young and it was 1979 and it was right out of high school. I had no idea. All I know is I had a person who took a liking to me and um, marketed me to 
this little company out of New Orleans uh, for an insurance position. And when I interviewed, I didn't know if I interviewed for the claim or got the claims job or the policy service job. And fortunately, it was a claims job because that certainly fit my personality. Um, and of course, I didn't go out handling claims at that time. I was just a little claims processor and paying the claims. But um, it was something that just seemed to, like I said, fit with my personality. Uh, working with policyholders, educating them, providing good customer service, uh, making sure they understood why they were purchasing the insurance and what the benefits were of purchasing insurance. Um, and, and of course, as my career evolved um, over the 40 plus years, um, I, it was Hurricane Charlie uh, that uh, I'm like, you know, I've done a little hail planes. I'd already been working with the flood and I'm like, I feel like I need to go out. I need to get out there and, and not as a field adjuster, but overseeing and managing a group of adjusters handling claims to make sure that they were providing good service and paying claims properly and things like that. Um, and then I worked every major catastrophe after that, uh, which set me up for Katrina. You know, that's my hometown that got destroyed. So, you know, I have a good empathy for policyholders and what they go through and on their worst day and with earthquakes, um, I was at one time certified uh, for uh, earthquake for California um, and uh, so it, it is again one of those disasters that it comes more surprising. You don't know what's happening until it happens. You don't really have a lot of time to prepare, so you have to uh, uh, have a game plan well ahead of that earthquake that will eventually happen, not if it's going to happen, when it happens. So um, yeah, so I, that's basically me in a nutshell of how I got into to this, how my career progressed, and and working with people before, during, and after disaster, just like it's part of my DNA, and and something that I I am very proud of with the work that uh, I've done and the people that I worked with in doing it. Right. So that actually segues really well into the the next sort of topic we'd like to focus on, which is for those with uh, an earthquake flood or other uh, disaster um, insurance policy, what should they be expecting? And let's start with um, the, you know, the event happens, the disaster happens. What is typical for the time frame for, you know, and, you know, like what they should be anticipating going through in that moment? I mean, it is probably for a lot of people, the worst moment of, you know, their, their life. <laughs> so, what do they expect to happen? Uh, so, uh, you know, United Policyholders has a, we have both a roadmap to preparedness and a roadmap to recovery program. And through those programs, we put out guidance, free guidance online and in print. And a lot of the, the guidance that we offer people who've who just were impacted by a disaster. And we have people on our staff who went through it themselves. Um, and you know, a lot of our, our guidance is focused on helping um, people be realistic about the situation, right? So um, you know, we say to people, um, recovery is a marathon, not a sprint, for example, and sort of give them the gentle under gently give them the understanding that um, this is going to this is a process, um, and it in and you know they're they're going to have to um, be patient and they're going to have to um, really kind of um, 
try to get situated in a comfortable alternative living situation, um, which, it, it, you know, if their home is uninhabitable um, and kind of get the, their mindset to be um, practical that like you're going to be in this for the long haul. So that's one thing, you know, be say, um, uh, you know, we have all these aphorisms that we've developed over the years, like insurance is a vehicle to get you back where you were before a loss, but it's not going to drive itself. And, or, you know, your adjuster may be friendly, but you're not, they're not your friend. And we don't, we don't say that to, to get people, you know, to, to, you know, think that they're now in a fight. We say it to help them really be, be, uh, understand the dynamic that they're in, right. That it's, um, that their, their property has been damaged it's their asset. They have the biggest stake in making sure that asset gets restored. They have insurance, um, but that that's really um, very much of a business situation. It's not a situation where, in in many cases, where you can just sit back <clears throat> and the insurance company is going to make everything right for you. It's a little more complicated than that. So again, a, a lot of what we do is give people a more realistic mindset, but also um, you know help them feel supported so that you know remind them you're not alone. There's so many resources, FEMA, um, you know, your, your, your community um, officials, there are lots of other people who've been in the situation before, you're not the first, you won't be the last. Um, but but to really get people to know that this is not going to be met better in a week or a month, um, that it's really usually um, going to be at least a year um, before you can kind of put all the pieces together, and you know, resolve your insurance uh, claim, find the right professionals um, and and pay them and um, and ensure that 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 what they that the work that gets done is quality and is the right work and it's done um, the way it should be. So that that's that's kind of our our main thrust in the beginning. And and I think that springs bar to setting expectations. You know, the good, bad, and different, whatever those expectations are. Uh, the person needs to understand because you're going to have your insured group, people who purchased coverage, and they're going to be having to report their claim timely, Get because until they report their claim, the claim hasn't started. Uh, most policies uh, will have time frames built into the policy that uh, talks about, you know, how long it's going to take to adjust the claim. In the time of a catastrophe, some policies may even dictate how much more time that you have. Like, say, for instance, the policy may provide a uh, 60 days uh, to open, pay, and close a claim and notify a policyholder if you need more time. In a state of a catastrophe, however, some states build an additional time automatically for that because they know, depending on the severity of the catastrophe, like, you know, uh, an uh, one of, and you've seen the major catastrophe earthquakes in California, uh, uh, like the Northridge earthquake, that was very devastating. And so when you have damaged infrastructure, you have damaged the roadways, you have all these different things happening, just getting adjusters on site to be able to make those inspections uh, is an undertaking. Um, so you have your report of claim, you know, contact with that policyholder could be impacted, especially again, if uh, the, the telephone systems are down and things like that. And, and nowadays in the 21st century, we have email 
we have text, we have so many other ways of reaching people that we never did before. And, uh, and so that helps with communication. But then, like I said, making those, uh, those inspections with when the policyholder is available so that you can get there and, and spend the time with the policyholder. Of course, with an earthquake, you have aftershocks. All of that is concerned for safety, you know, getting in those crawl spaces, getting in those attics uh, as aftershocks are ongoing, but that's what their job is, you know, and, and even if they have to come back, that could be another delay of creating an estimate to restore that home and repair the damage. Then you have your unfortunate ones who do not have insurance. They're going to be reliant on, uh, on either uh, if this is uh, determined to be a presidential disaster. You know, uh, there's, there are certain things that the government will do, but there's a lot of local resources that Amy spoke about that's going to be available for them. And that could be the Red Cross and all those kind of things. Uh, it could very well be uh, small business, uh, SBA uh, loans that are made available to them. Them to help restore their homes. So, you know, it's all about that communication expectation and understand what is required out of you if you are insured. You know, every policy will set forth duties after loss that a policyholder must comply with. And, you know, that may or may not include having to submit a proof of loss. Uh, and, you know, it's not necessarily a form, but what that means, you know, asking your adjuster, asking your insurer or your agent, what is it are they going to expect out of me? What do I need to provide? What uh, um, time frames do I need to meet? Not only finding out what they're going to do for them, but what do I need to do so that you're not missing any deadlines that you need to do um, that could, you know, ultimately hurt your claim. Now, it shouldn't bar your claim if you're late doing something, but, you know, but it, but it may delay the claim. And also at the end of the day, never being afraid to ask for more. If whatever you originally were written, and that's not sufficient to restore your home per the coverage, or you find more damage or whatever, it could may, maybe not until you have your contractor involved. Don't ever be afraid to ask for more money and say, I can't do it for this. Uh, and provide your documentation and support because your adjuster and your insurer should always be willing to work with your contractor to reach an agreement on what we call scope, the damage that was caused by the covered event, and then the, and the cost to repair, you know, what it's actually going to cost you to, to perform that work. So I think that's, you know, the primary things, you know, communication, communication, and, and making sure you understand what the expectation is from you and, and your insurer. Yeah, I mean, I, I really can't agree more. I think that um, in addition to helping people have a realistic mindset of the situation, um, helping them remember that one of the most important things is to figure out what happened to the property as a result of the earthquake, what happened, right? And of course, um, you know, there's it's always going to be hard to find local you know, local experts, right? Because they're in high demand. People are going to come in from out of the area. Can you trust them? Um, those are all, you know, chronic challenges. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the most fortunate people are the people who have earthquake insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you've got, if you've got some, you know, some uh, kind of an economic safety net separate from government programs, you know, you're way ahead of the game, which is why, um, our organization has been working so hard, um, you know, for years to try to move the needle in California 
um, and get more people to to buy earthquake insurance because it's just um, it's just so scary, you know, to think about uh, what's going to happen with the next big one with um, with the relatively low take up rate of people who who are buying uh, that 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 coverage for earthquake damage. And, and that's a very good point, because, you know, the, the first thing, you know, because a lot of people think I can't afford it. You don't know a lot of times if you can afford it unless you get a quote. Get a quote. <laughs> get a quote. Find out if it's something that you can afford. You know, there's usually different deductibles and things like that that can lower the premium where you, you're self-insuring for different things. And, you know, because I would say that for that or flood insurance, you know, when, when you look at your homeowner policy and uh, a lot of people think I'm covered. Right. or your business policy, business, business owner's policy, your renter's policy, I'm covered, especially when they use terminology like all risk. Well, every policy has exclusions, limitations, all those kind of things. Um, and so, you know, you, you want to ensure and, and make sure you at least understand those insurance gaps, which commonly are earthquake, and flood. And, flood. And, and yeah, and get those quotes, find out, talk to your agent and find out how much will it cost me to add this coverage to my policy so you can make informed decisions. Um, and Sorry, yeah, ahead. absolutely. So, so yeah, that's, that's the biggest advice I have to any consumer uh, is, to, is to do that, can, you know, weigh your options. Right, right, and and you know it's um, we we are we have worked um, pretty hard over the years to um, word our advice so that it's it's going to be realistic, you know, because we we and so we'll say to people, you know, don't just go on rumors, you know, your neighbor says it's a ripoff, I'm not going to go there, you know, like how much would it cost? Um, I mean, certainly for flood insurance, we tell people if you're not in a high risk flood zone, it's a bargain and you should definitely buy a flood policy. Earthquake is a trickier one um, mm -hmm. because I think, you know, the people who um, who really need it, um, you know, people are um, people who are in, you know, high risk fault zones and also people whose homes have the the conditions that make it even more important to have an earthquake insurance so mm -hmm. a soft story for example or um you know you're you're on a slope um you know kind of thing so again united policyholders has um developed tips and we work pretty closely with the california earthquake authority um you know we sort of have the same goals you know they want to uh have more people be insured for earthquake damage in California. So does United Policyholders. So, you know, we have on our website, we have tips, like say um, we have a tip that was written by a financial planner uh, based on the advice he gives to his customers on protecting your assets and, you know, deciding whether or not buying earthquake insurance makes sense. Of course, if cost isn't an, an item, an, an issue, everyone should buy it, right? But the reality is we know that for most households, you know, adding another 2000 bucks onto their premium, especially today um, with home insurance uh, costs getting go, going higher, it's a, it's a hard sell. Um, but we, but we are consistently messaging just like, um, you know, Lisa said that this should be an informed decision that you make based on your situation. You know, how much equity do you have? Um, you know, could, would you walk away if, if it were a severe loss? And, and what kind of retrofitting could you do, um, both to make um, it less likely that your home will suffer serious damage and also to bring down the cost of your 
insurance. So those are all the sort of talking points that we've been putting out there over the years. Um, and, you know, finally, I mean, <clears throat> the reality is that if you have a, you know, the reason that most people have home insurance, I mean, it's, it's, is because their mortgage, you know, is requiring it, right? Um, that's kind of the, that was sort of the original drive, right? It's not that people wouldn't want to have that safety net, but the main reason um, that's, that, that people will buy it is that they've been required to buy it, right? Um, we don't have that imperative with earthquake insurance, right? Banks do not require, you could be living right on a fault line and take out a mortgage and the, and the, the mortgage company doesn't care that you don't have earthquake insurance. It's sort of one of those mysteries of the universe for us. Um, but it is a, it is a fact. Um, and until that changes, you know, it, it's, it's a tough call for homeowners um, because it's, it's just the only people who buy earthquake insurance are the people who are in a high risk, you know, situation, which is sort of part of the problem that, you know, it sort of feeds on itself, right? It's a, only the people who are high risk for earthquake buy it, which means it's a high risk pool, which means that the coverage is expensive. But, you know, we are always working to innovate um, and, you know, higher get you know, encourage people, take a higher deductible, do as much retrofitting as you can, uh, you know, have your foundation be bolt, you know, home be bolted to the foundation, you know, strap your water heater, um, put shear wall panels in, all those things um, that people can do you know, we're at least those of us who are on our side, you know, FEMA, UP, you know, the California Earthquake Authority, people who are thinking about these things, we're all putting out the same messages, right? Get a quote, do as much as you can to mitigate and and have a plan um, for what you would do if, you're, if your home were seriously damaged in an earthquake. Have a plan. Don't stick your head in the sand. And I think that's fantastic. And, and that springboards to what you can do to mitigate a potential loss. And it's and it, and basically at the end of the day, because we all know that the longer it takes for a disaster to happen, you know, if it's been 15 years or 20 years since a big earthquake, you know, short from a little rumble, um, people get complacent. Same thing if you live in you know, hurricane territory. If it's been a while that you've been hit by a good hurricane, you know, you 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 relax, and you think that that next one, oh, that's not going to be that bad. I, I lived for the last five. I didn't evacuate. I didn't do these kind of things. You know, but at least with a hurricane, I have the option to evacuate. I can drive away from it. I can't do that with an earthquake. So the most important thing is whether you choose to get insurance or not get insurance. It's what you do pre-disaster to save your life and property. And, you know, there's so many, many resources online. And, you know, not only with your organization, but also ready.gov. It's a wonderful site that has a list of probably every kind of disaster you can ever imagine going through. And, but earthquake is certainly on there. And, And I think one of the most important things is about having that emergency plan you know, for your family, you know, making sure you have out-of-state contact people, you know, that they know where you are at any given time, you know, what are you going to do, where in that home is the safest place in that home or that building for you to be as things are 
rattling around, uh, you know, making sure that there's not going to be anything that's going to fall on you. And I, and, and, you know, while I, I, well, I live in an area that has a fault line, but ours has been dormant for a hundred years. You know, I don't live in the same concerned area where it could happen at any given time. And so, so for there, you know, I would, I, if I did, I would do those things like making sure things are attached to the wall so it's not going to follow me because I'm willing to bet that a lot of times it's that secondary thing that injures you as opposed to the earthquake itself. You know, having a piece of furniture fall over, you know, or things falling off the walls or things like that. And so you, you have to protect yourselves and, and take that time to look up those things and see what I can do proactively to save and preserve my family first, family first, property second. And, um, and because there really are some great resources out there um, and, and everything needs to have a plan. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, <clears throat> having water, emergency water on hand, yeah. having some emergency supplies, you know, um, so, <clears throat> you know, those, those things, you know, you really, you really, um, it helps if, when people have actually gone through it, you know, it's really, um, you know, the, the, having been living in California <clears throat> through both the 89 and the 94 quakes, it makes a huge difference, you know, in your awareness, right? <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it's very hard, I think, for um, for people to even get their mind around what 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 it's like if they haven't mm -hmm. been through it. Um, and, and yeah, so I mean, the other thing is, I'm sure we all agree on this as well, is that um, you know we have to sort of myth bust for people all the time that the federal government is going to come riding in on a white horse and save you. And you, that's why you don't need insurance, right? Which is just not true. I mean, the federal government is wonderful, wonderful programs. Um, but, you know, FEMA, um, an individual assistance grant is needs-based. So a lot of households are not even going to qualify. The maximum award is something, what, 40, what is it, 42,000 now? But the average is more sort of in the 6,000. That's not, you know, going to do it for most people, right? So as, as, as wonderful as government aid is and charitable aid is, um, it, it's not, it doesn't take the place of what, uh, what an insurance policy um, can offer in terms of dollars to pay for the repairs. You know, that's really um, a bottom line message that we have to continually try to get out there. You know, because mm -hmm. that is the common mindset. Well, uh, you know, I, you know, FEMA is going to be there to save me, which of course FEMA is wonderful, um, but um, but is not a substitute for. That's exactly right, and it has to be a presidential uh, uh, disaster. Right? You know, a, de a declared disaster. So just because an earthquake happens doesn't mean that it will be a uh, a declared disaster that would allow you to have those individual assistance and things like that. You know, and and most often, you know, uh, for the uninsured, they might have some some assistance with their primary residence, but uh, but it will not. It definitely will not make them whole. That is a misnomer. Um, uh, you know, if 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 you're going to choose to self-insure and not get insurance, because insurance is always the best way to restore and and get back to an, a new normal. You know, because anytime you go through a disaster, 
it, it, it affects you mind, body, and spirit. You, you are changed after you have gone through whatever that disaster is. Um, and, but you can't let it paralyze you. You have to continue to make that plan. You know, if you're going to self-insure, make sure that you have savings. You know, if, if, very, if for any other reason, make sure you have enough savings to get you through those initial tough days right after that disaster happens, yep. where there's no power, there's no water, there's no electricity. Like having those, uh, you know, the, the extra water on hand, food, you know, non-perishable items on hand, but, but having enough cash on hand where you could travel to an, a hotel for a few days, you know, because if you have insurance, there may be coverage for additional living expenses. You don't know. And, you know, it, it, it could depend on the particular catastrophe you went through. You have to read your policy, know what to expect out of that policy. So you're not surprised. You're not surprised about the fact that there are limitations that, you know, in an earthquake, it may have limited coverage for my brick veneer, you know, and most of those policies have those kind of wording in it. Just know what to expect, know what you, your out of pocket could potentially be if the worst case happens yep. um, and that you could, you know, if you need to get another loan, a second loan in your home or whatever it is, that you're able to do that so that you can, you know, continue to live in your home and restore it and do those kind of things. Um, but yeah, be prepared. Always be prepared. You have covered so many topics um, in that discussion that we have virtually nothing left here to ask. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is fantastic. Kind of focus in on maybe if you could say there's there's one surprise obstacle that having dealt with people in disaster situations, if there's one thing that, that people commonly don't anticipate that you would really draw attention to and say, yeah, this 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 happens and people are often caught by surprise. What what would that what would that be? I'm gonna say um that things cost more than than you think you know that that repairs are more expensive than you think um and um especially because after a disaster with with you know supply and demand um you know even with anti-price gouging rules people are still gonna you know materials are gonna be more expensive labor is gonna be more expensive and just it's all about the money that's really i would say the biggest surprise for people Mm -hmm. And I think the other surprise for people is the requirements to bring the home into compliance with whatever current law or ordinance might exist at that moment that that loss occurred. You know, your home might have been built back in the 60s, yep. but now you're required to do other certain things that uh, be familiar with what those requirements might be, because that is dictated by the local building codes. Um, and, and so, you know, that you might have to comply and that could, that could involve rewiring your home, replacing windows, replacing roof, doing these things, these unexpected costs that had nothing to do with the earthquake or the flood, but that you're required to still do. So, you know, make sure you're, you're thinking about those other kinds of costs that you may be required to put out uh, that may or may not be covered by the insurance if you do have insurance, but you'd still be required to do if you don't have insurance. And then do you have anything that if you were talking to uh, local emergency preparedness people, the people that are kind of uh, daily in communication with folks before the earthquake, 
even, is there anything that you would particularly um, recommend that they focus on communicating to the public before the disaster um, that you, uh, on this topic? Yeah. That's such a great question because, and it's very timely for me. I just got a notice from my um, uh, a local elected official and it talked about be prepared for disasters and have a plan. And it didn't mention insurance. So my answer to your question is, um, it's great to talk about have a plan, have emergency supplies, um, but it's also great to remind people that for most people, their home is their biggest asset, their most important valuable asset, um, and that making sure that it's insured is in your best interest financially and, and to, to restore the quality of your life. So reminding people in advance to think about insurance and to try to have their insurance safety net in place is just as important, I think, as telling them to have a plan and, you know, um, and, and, and know that this is something that might happen. Uh, that is excellent advice because you have, it goes hand in hand, you know, and, and it's just like making sure with the emerging matters, making sure that new construction, not only old construction of what you can do to retrofit, you talked about retrofit earlier, you know, new construction, making sure that you're built in the best way that would prevent certain damages from occurring to your home, you know, but, you know, being as, you know, I don't do earthquake like I used to work with in the past. I mainly do flood, but you know, people don't really realize that uh, you know where it rains, it floods. You know, and you mentioned about special hazard areas. You know, you don't have to be one of these special hazard areas. You know, where it rains, it floods. And uh, and you know, we've seen what's happening in the Northeast right now. Several inches of rain falling in a very short period of time caused devastating damages. But we also saw that same kind of damage happening in California earlier this year. And so all of these kind of disasters, you know, it, it's, it's just so important that you, like I said, have a plan that you know and make informed decisions and, and you're insuring for that financial loss that could devastate you. For some people that could be $25,000. For some people it could be millions of dollars. You know, for them, they can afford probably to self-insure a bit, but uh, but not everybody can afford that. So, you know, just that message has to be consistent from all those different avenues. So I think that's great advice. Uh, is there anything that we've missed that you really want to make sure is included in this conversation? I mean, the only other thing I'd say is that, um, you know, I have gone through this process myself as a homeowner in San Francisco of analyzing whether or not it's worth paying for earthquake insurance. And I reached the conclusion that it was worth it. And I have earthquake insurance. Um, but, um, but I did, I made the decision based on the fact that my house is a soft story, which means there's a lot of weight on top of a garage without support in the middle, which is, you know, you don't have to be an engineer to understand that that's a vulnerability. Um, and also I know a little enough about the soil and the conditions at my house to know that it would, um, that, that, you know, my house was, went through um, the, well, we didn't actually, my house was built after the 06 earthquake in San Francisco, not that much 
after. Um, so I, I pray that um, when it was built, they were still remembering the earthquake. It hadn't been that long ago. Um, and, uh, but it was enough to make me think, you know, old house, soft story. I have a lot of equity. All of those are reasons why I wouldn't walk away from this house. Therefore, I need the financial wherewithal to pay for the repairs if I were if if we were to go through an earthquake. And I think the likelihood of my home being damaged is fairly high. Um, and I and I know you know I know that there was some damage from Loma Prieta um, to my house. So all those things, I'm not. I don't. You don't have to be an expert to think about the vulnerabilities that your house has. You just have to think about it. Right. And, and as far as, you know, it's all about, again, being informed, being informed, educating yourself. Um, another good resource for people is disasterassistance.gov. If you're wondering what the, what the federal government could do for you in a, in a disaster, there's a lot of good information on there. There's also a lot of really good handouts and, and, uh, and publications that help educate the public. Um, and I'm sure, like I said, the state, I'm sure the state has equally good resources. Use what's available to you. And, and like I said, ask the question, educate yourself and, and know become a, a conf, an informed consumer so that you are, you know, and you have the things available to you and you know what's available to you and the means to be able to protect yourself and protect your family. Lisa Thompson and Amy Bach, thank you for speaking with us today. This episode of the Ready to Recover podcast series was produced by Crew.org with funding from the National Earthquake Hazards Reduction Program. The podcast transcript and show notes, including links to resources mentioned by the speakers, are available at podcast.crew.org. You can continue to explore this and related topics by tuning into the other episodes in the Ready to Recover series. Thank you for listening.